here. I didn't know this place existed. Victoria I know. Palace. It's weird, isn't it? Like, no, it's kind of the hidden secret of the the station. It looks like the Stranger Things season three mall sort of mm. thing. Oh, you can imagine monsters running around. I can actually. Yeah, I think that's. I think this map. Actually, no, that wouldn't have been based on it because that was based on an eighties mall. But yeah, sorry, I'm spiraling. Off, I'm spiraling. Right. But yeah, I completely agree with what you're saying. Is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. But Palace is a bit of a stretch. Yeah, it's got an Ed's Diner. There you go. Trend, very trendy. I. It's. I, how did that become trendy though? That, that was just like a. How, I don't know. How old are you, oh, sir? Uh, Thirty. Thirty. Yeah, I'm yeah, twenty-eight. Yeah. That was just a thing when we were growing up. But Ed's now. Ed's Diner. Ed's Diner. Yeah, there were loads of them. Yeah. But now it's kind of like become the london version of wimpy the london version of wimpy wage like if you look at it it's like, oh wow like that still exists i live in streatham and i think we have the last wimpy do you they're still holding on i don't know how it stayed open it beat mcdonald's mcdonald's closed in streatham oh um i think burger king closed in streatham but the wimpy is still there do they still do their little book of glories I, i've never been into it you've never I been know, into I find, a wimpy. It terif- I find it terrifying what You've never been into the Wimpy. Never been into I, I that think, I think that should be your New Year's resolution for 2020. I think that would be me, my life going backwards. <laughs> yeah. well, go to a Wimpy. Do a romantic date with the wife and bring her to a Wimpy. That's it. Fuck it. Well, my parents' first date yeah. was um, at a McDonald's. Well, there you go. Yeah. And it was a very happy meal, and then yeah, they continued. Exactly. Yeah, hey, love it. <laughs> so, we'll get into the comedy in a minute. Yeah, sure. But like, I want to know. How you got into the guys and gold, the guys and dolls cast in 2010? Oh, at university. Yes. Uh, so that was just uh, musical theatre and the drama society there. It was just something, uh, one of those worlds that I was a part in. I nice. think the director Mike Cater, who is now quite a big agent, um, he just said just come on audition for it, and I did. And I was doing Nathan Detroit. It was very good fun. So how long was the run for? Oh, it's the university thing, so it's like three or four nights. Three or four nights? Yeah. Oh, sweet. So, what university was it? Uh, the Royal, uh, Royal Holloway University. Oh, in, uh, very nice. Yeah, which is uh, just sort of outside London near Windsor. Um, it's got the very beautiful old sort of 16th century founders building, mm-hmm. which is the second most flammable building in the UK. Always good. Yeah, which is because the ins- uh, insulation is hay, and then the rats started living in the hay. So to get rid of the rats, they covered the hay in paraffin. Oh, so geez. yeah, if there's a fire at Windsor Castle, even if the Queen's there, and a fire at the Founders Building, they have to come to the Founders Building first because it's just <laughs> so flammable. <Yeah>. Good. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was. Bloody, uh, I don't know why I said that. I'm not. Yeah, if you couldn't tell, I'm not a royalist. But, <laughs> but no. So, how long have you been doing theatre for? I don't. Stop? I would never say I do theatre. Um, I haven't done any theatre since 2011. I did one play at the Edinburgh Festival um, which was really fun to do but I've not I don't even really consider myself an actor anymore mm. um, I've got an, an acting like, agent and stuff like that and sometimes you go up for commercials and a little bit parts here and mm. there but it's just the, the lovely thing about being a stand-up is you can make your own work yeah that's it you're not waiting for the phone to ring and I've got so many actor friends who just they only act when someone lets them do it but if you do a stand-up even if you don't mind doing it anywhere even if it's to eight other comedians in a shitty mm. pub you can you can do it any night of the week yeah that's it i've what i've found um speaking to well some speaking to some actors yeah is that you're mainly just waiting around yeah you're waiting for the phone to ring that's they, it yeah and you can't i mean you could potentially do uh, an edinburgh festival run if you're an actor yeah. But you, you know, that's not the same as doing stand-up. Stand-up, you've got to still, you, you've got all the expenses of doing a stand-up show, but then also get a cast, also get a play, mm. also get um, the rights to the play if it's, an, it's not an original play. It's just a lot more work. You need, you need the industry to mm. sort of recognise you in order to even do the thing rather than even get paid to do the thing. Yeah, and I can't imagine like what that must do to your psyche as well, just having to rely on someone else to give you that part, to give you a part. Well, my mum is an actress and she um, she went to drama school and she said that there were, you know, actresses and actors who were way more talented than she was, but they couldn't handle a rejection. And so they gave up acting yeah. because even though they were great at it, they just couldn't, they, their, their brains couldn't deal with the literally going up for audition, killing it in the room, mm. then being very happy and then hearing absolutely nothing. Yeah, that must take such a toll and you have to be such you have to have such thin skin yeah. a thick skin yeah. to be able to do to be able to do that i don't i've dabbled in it a little bit yeah because i did a little bit of drama school and i did a little and i took on a little short film when i was like 16 but i couldn't do that i just couldn't do it i certainly couldn't do just that i mean i i think and the nice the weird thing is now 
when I was growing up, um, my mum, if she wasn't acting, was on the dole and she was going and collecting unemployment, basically. And that wasn't like a weird thing, that was no. just something that you do. But I don't know any actors of our generation who do that. They all have a pretty much full-time but flexible job that they do on the side. I've got friends who do work in the Crystal Maze, some who work in clothing shops, some who call centre stuff. It seems that the world is not you're just an actor now, you, no. unless you're on, unless you're breaking. I knew, I even knew an actress who did an eight-month stint on EastEnders, and the very next week was back to working in the call centre. Really? Shit. Was she a main role? Was she like, or? It's a regular, yeah. Oh, gee. Well, that just shows how fickle the industry can actually be. Oh, yeah. And it's not just because you have one big break and do one big thing. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're done. And that's the other thing for stand-up, is as soon as you get into the club, mm. and you get into enough clubs, they will keep booking you, even if it's four months in, yeah. in advance. Mm. But then you've got enough of those, and they they will just you keep calling up, they'll keep rebooking you. It's... You can build up a network, a yearly calendar, basically. Mm. That's what that's what I'm trying to do right now. I'm sort of trying to book 2020. At the, I'm trying to book. Well, also trying to get November December, November out of the way. I'm kind of sort of iffy about doing stuff in like too close to Christmas. Yeah. Too hot, but I'm looking. To, I'm looking into booking 2020 already, just yeah. to see, just to get have something to look forward to. I well, guess. I've probably got something in my July in, in July for 2020. I mean. Yeah, I'll be doing. I'm doing Top Secret this weekend, Thursday, nice. Friday, Saturday. I'll call up after that, and they'll go, "Cool, can you do February, Thursday, Friday, Saturday?" So yeah. Sick. So how did you get into the Top Secret bowl? So I originally was in an improv group called Shoot from the Hip, mm-hmm. which actually started as a fundraising improv group for that play that I was in in 2011. Which you uh, founded, up from what I was certainly one of the founders of yeah. Shoot from the Hip. There was already an improv society there. Okay. Um, that had existed the year before we arrived and we were doing two or three weekly shows at university which is a great place to start your comedy life because Mm. everyone is roughly the same age as you Mm. everyone has the same references like you could do a harry potter joke there and everyone will go absolutely crazy so you build up confidence and think you know how to do it and that means when you have the, the weird shift of going into doing it in london even if it's not the same sort of crazy response you know well I know this can work if I could figure out what they want yeah so we did the uh, fundraising shows in a few pubs and then we went off to Edinburgh did the play and the play went really well and then we were like should we just carry this on so we uh, went to the comedy store Oy. and just to meet with the comedy store players and ask their advice um, and the first thing Lee Simpson said was don't do it um, <laughs> and then Neil Malarkey and a few of the others said just find a club that has a free night and ask them if they'd like an improv show. Um, that's what they did 40, 50 years ago. So we went around, we had a look at some, and the first one we sort of got into was Top Secret, which at the time was in the Africa Center uh, in Covent Garden in a quite a rundown sort of basement thing. It was running shows Wednesday to Sunday. So Monday and Tuesday were free, and, I, and we were 21, 22. We said, give us a night um, and we'll do that. And we did, and we did Tuesday. And we did every Tuesday from November 2011 to January 2017. Really? And so what, wow. my stand-up career started whilst I was still doing that. So yeah. then they started booking me to host shows there, and then they started booking me to do 20s. And so yeah, that's what we did. Sweet. So you're there for you had there yeah you're there this whole weekend then. I'm there yeah this whole weekend coming up. Uh, oh lovely. Yeah. Right. So what do you take from the improv? into your stand-up how do they kind of correlate well I do a lot of emceeing so if we went through my calendar probably 60 to 70 percent of it would be me hosting the show mm. and hosting a show is there's a lot of improv in there I, I'd yeah. say there are brilliant stand-up courses out there but if you're a stand-up I would just say do an improv course yeah because even if you're not an MC, it teaches you how to think on your feet it teaches you how to find the energy in the room find the shiny thing um, how to react when something goes wrong uh, and also how to do a bit of audience interaction as well. It's just a whole host of incredibly useful skills uh, from doing an improv course. Do you know which ones are quite good in London? This is something that I'm looking <laughs> to do in 2020. Well, Shoot the Hip do them. Okay, uh, yeah. Yep, so we do, uh, we're halfway through our eight-week course at the moment, and that is level one, and where we cover very basic uh, building blocks like yes and, uh, joining, uh, spontaneity, teamwork, trust. Um, it's not for, and it's basically the, the building block so we've had teachers come to it we've had actors come to it we've had stand-ups come to it we've had improvisers come to it um, so that's good if you want to go uh, if, the, if the dates don't work up for you there Hoopla also do some really nice open ones uh, the FA do a very structured this is what improv is and if you like that then you'll really enjoy it 
um, if you don't like their model, then maybe not. But I've known people who've done it and they're going, I have to be here for the rest of my life. I know people who've done it and going, it's not for me. Oh, fair enough. Like, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm not really too big on the whole rules, on the whole, this is that, this is this, and if you don't do yeah. this, this is it. Yeah. But, yeah, I'll give that a, I'll give that a while. I'll give yeah. that a look. Well, certainly a fun experience. And even like we've had, you know, account managers who've done it and they still say they've got something out of it. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's something like I think those are what those kind of roles in stand-up courses and improv courses are good for. Like even if you're not looking to go into comedy or whatever, it's just a confidence builder, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. If you and if, and if you have the money for it, obviously, because yeah. it's um and your time, because we do ours. Three, so what, it's actually going on right now. Is it? Teacher, <laughs> well, yeah. So they go on from two till five on Saturday afternoons. So if you want to sacrifice three hours on Saturday and come and do, come and do it, and you, you know I've. We had people who've started, you know, year-long relationships out of it, and lifelong friendships, and two people went on holiday and stuff like that. It is a, it's a nice experience. Yeah, and from what I've experienced, I did a, start, I did a stand-up course myself mm. to get just to get me started. Sure. Like, you do form friendships out of those things. Yeah, definitely, and you will always have, you know, it's slightly different for me because I was doing, I was rubbing up against with comedians for about four or five years doing the improv. So I, I wasn't one. I didn't have a class at school. I sort of yeah. was a I don't know a foreign exchange student who was just hanging around <laughs> other comedians. So I don't I don't have a particular class. But I know people who've just done pure stand-up. They certainly have a group of close friends who all sort of started at the same time. Mm. You see how each other's careers are going. Obviously, you get insanely jealous when someone gets something. Oh yeah, like yeah, you do. But, uh, yeah, it's a it's a it's a strange community, and it's so big. That's the one thing is I always thought, you know, doing it five years, I'm not going to get in a car with anyone I don't know. Yeah. And I'll sometimes be on lineups and I have no idea who any of these people are. Of course. Like, that's, yeah, I've not been in that position yet. So I've, um, in fact, I was meant to be in that position this um, last month, mm. but they had to cancel the gig in Derby. They, the, okay. uh, they had to cancel the gig in Derby. Oh, so, God. Yeah. Did you already bought your ticket to Derby? Oh, no, no, no. I was meant to do a ride show with, um, oh, right. with someone I'd never, someone I've never met before. Is that a Merth Control game? Yeah, Merth Control, yeah. How are you finding those? I've never had them. I've never actually done one yet. Oh right, so that was the that first was one. That was the first cancer. one, yeah. But um, I've heard, I've heard things. I was, I would say that two of my favourite gigs I've done in my life have been Mirth Control gigs. Yes. And two of the worst I've ever done have been Mirth Control gigs. And the vast majority of them are in the middle, and they're really nice and fun. Yeah, I've, I've heard that they, even though they're a bit rowdy, they can be a bit rowdy. Like any gig can be rowdy. Any gig can be rowdy. Yes, there is one they have called, which is in a nightclub called. Uh, the nightclub's called Camo, and the night's called Jaggers, and that is in Bournemouth on a Friday or Saturday night, where 80% of the audience are stag and Hindus. Good. Yeah, who've paid for three nights of nightclubbing in Bournemouth, two meals in Bournemouth, uh, one comedy show in Bournemouth, and one strip show in Bournemouth. Oh. So those are the people you're, you're doing your show to. But those are like, those can be the best crowds, though. Oh, I love it. I, yeah. it, it. It depends what kind of comedian you are, and that's... That's the other thing I'd say about the improv is it allowed me to have gears. Mm. So there's some acts who they come on and they do their 20 minutes and no matter what happens in the room, their 20 minutes will always be pretty much the same. Yeah. And if the crowd go for it, it's the it's the best comedy that person has ever seen yeah. in their entire life and yeah. they've got a whole room of fans. And if they don't, it's a very painful 20 minutes of someone dying. Mm. And uh, so yeah, I taught myself to have some gears. If, uh, material, my bio, uh, you know, biography material is not working. Do some crowd work. If the crowd work's not working, do some politics. If the politics isn't working, do some silly voices. All that sort of stuff. Um, and having those gears has sort of certainly helped me get more work and, and, and be able to play rooms all up and down the country. Mm. Right. So where's the best? Quite where? Okay. So what area of the UK has the best audiences? Do you think, or do you reckon there's no real? I would say that. There are great audiences in London, and they all, and sometimes you can get away with some more thoughtful stuff. The nice thing about anywhere outside of London, they will laugh at anything as long as it's funny. Yeah. Whereas you get some places in London where you say a particular word or you bring up a certain subject, yep. and they just completely and they they tense up, which is also fun because you can kind of treat you coax them out of it. Mm. So I've got this one bit at the moment talking about gender where it's um basically why some people are freaking out about it and the punchline is if i suck a woman's dick am i still straight <laughs> um which then goes into a you know who cares if it makes you happy go ahead yeah. um but i'll do that bit in london and it gets a Ooh, like a really like you, you can't say that's because people agree with it 
but they can't be seen to agree with it. But then in in out sometimes outside of London you do that and they go, <laughs> yeah, those freaks. Yeah. And so you're like you're kind of again you hit you do that joke and it always gets a lovely big reaction. But then you're figure, you're trying to figure out what they're laughing at yeah. and therefore what your patter after that is. It's just um. So yeah, I've, I've, my, the two favourite gigs I did were in one was in uh, Vienna, which was absolutely lovely. Ooh, very nice. Um, that was a Jeff Whiting gig, a Mouth Control gig. Um, Top Secret is always going to be a great night. It's always something about that room that he's built. It's just amazing. It's always full. It's it's a mixed age, short range. Um, Angel Comedy and the Bill Murray always have a great. Which you're the resident host for as well on yeah. Thursdays. Yeah. Yes. I did Comedy Unleashed. Oh, was Andrew Doyle's um, night, which again was a really uh, nice big up for audience. And again, you could talk about things. It's very rare for me to be able to do a show where I can talk about things in the news and everyone knows yeah. exactly what it's I'm talking about before having yeah. to explain it. So like, um, yeah, you talk about the Speaker of the House and you, you know. I did actually watch yeah. the video of you of comedy. Oh, yeah. and I was like, yeah, this is really fucking good. Well, oh, well thank you. Nice. Uh, and it's, I know, but that was a weird night because um, I. I've had friends who've done it before, and they were like, "Oh no, it's incredibly mixed. It's uh, lots of liberal people, lots of right-wing people, lots yep. of left-wing people going there." And I went, "Oh, that sounds lovely." Just, and he goes, "And the rules are just if it's funny, you laugh at it, and you can say whatever you want." Yeah, that's very nice. And I think this was a fluke, but it did make me slightly nervous where I was. And I, on the night I went there, the host came up, uh, Ria uh, Lena, who's brilliant. Yeah, he said, um, "Right-wing people give me a cheer, massive cheer. Left-wing people, no one." And I was yeah. like, "Oh, this is." This is not what I was told this was, and no. I don't. I didn't know if it was just been misrepresented to me, or if this was just a fluke. And a lot of people said it was just a fluke, but the thing is, I think a lot of right-wing people and Brexiteers, they don't feel that they're going to be safe in comedy, and they're certainly no. not going to hear any material usually from their um, uh, point of view. Um, if you try, you know, I, 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 I actually, I love doing Jeremy Corbyn jokes in yeah. Islington in, in Angel Comedy, just because. It's, it's funny to watch people squirm. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, they're great nights all around. And and sometimes there are nights which you go there and you go, this isn't going to work. This is yeah. going to be pulling teeth. Like I did a gig in a church last week. It was a 500-seater church, massive ceiling, 35, 40 people. And it was an <laughs> absolutely lovely gig. Nice. And the mic didn't work. And so I was like, I was hosting. So I started going, mic's not working. Let's just have a chat. And they were it's really up for it. Yeah. yeah. Like... I let's. I'm gonna go, scooch back a little bit to the Sorry. right, to the right thing than the Brexit to the right yeah, Brexit yeah. thing. I completely agree. There's. I mean, obviously, I voted Remain and stuff, but I get the feeling that. And I was having this conversation with another comedian after after a gig the, um, the other night. That a lot of people, like a lot of people, will say they Remain just to get the just to get people on board, just to get people on board. Well, I think there will always uh, the vast majority of comedians probably are, mm. um, because it's, you know it's, if you look at the ga- graphics of people who voted Remain, it's usually uh, university educated, artistic, urban people, and the vast majority of comedians are that thing. But it's why people like uh, Jeff Norcott, mm. uh, Leo Kurse, mm. Constantine Kissin, uh, Andrew Doyle are getting a following, yeah. and uh, Alistair Williams as well. Um, are getting a following because they are appealing to a lot of you know 52% of the country yeah. that often don't hear comedian comic political comedy for them, especially on the BBC. Yeah, which is why Jeff Norcott like 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 him I like like him I hate him. Yeah. He's killing it right now. Yeah, he is. And I think I like him a lot. Oh, I think he's brilliant. Yeah. I genuinely think he's brilliant. But the weirdest thing is most of these comedians aren't actually right wing. Like they just uh, so. Uh, at, Jeff is probably the only one who would actually call himself right wing. Constantine would say he's dead centre. Yeah. Leo would probably say he's slightly to the left, and Andrew Doyle is an old school leftist. Yeah. But it's almost become in the same way. It's not about conservative Labour anymore. It's about Leave Remain. It's not about um, liberal or conservative. It's about woke and and anti woke, I suppose. And that's why people sort of fall down. But yeah. Those are the sides. Those are teams in comedy. Yeah. Well, it's true. It's true. But. Yeah, London, I think, is a bit of a weird beast, to be honest, with audiences. Yeah. Because there's... You can either do... I'm trying to find the right, I'm trying to find the right <coughs> words to say this, but you can... There's certain things you just can not say to certain audiences in London. On the open mic scene, I think. Well, yeah, but, I mean, that's... As, as ever thus, for example, yeah. I on that um, Jaggers night, there was a political comedian who did a very nuanced... Trying to do a very nuanced 15-minute set about immigration, 
yeah. was booed off in four minutes. What? That's not the audience's fault. Your job as a comedian yeah. is either to be able to bring the horse to water and make it drink with things that they are going to be uncomfortable with, yeah. or you play the room. That's it. Yeah, you don't go doing a lot of you know anti-Islamic jokes when you get a gig at the mosque. No, it's true. Yeah, you don't do a lot of Christian, you know, uh, Catholics fucking little boys jokes if you're doing a gig for Catholics. I mean, yeah. you play the room. That's if it. You, if you want to get booked again. Yeah, and, right. and if you're complaining, oh, they're not laughing at my jokes. But did you expect them to? It's true. Unless you are, unless you really have done the work to to have the escape route and to bring them there. So again, I've got a Brexit joke, which is. Um, there's a sex move called the Brexit, which is basically when you pull out of the last minutes without really thinking about it and then shit all over everything. <laughs> and you can do that in cities and remain areas and it just gets a big laugh and that's the end of it. Yeah. But I will always do that joke. And if it gets not much of a reaction, it gets a groan, I'll say, oh, 52% of the room not laughing. And that usually gets a laugh back. So I know how to make that joke yeah. work, even if they don't find it funny. But if you're doing, you know rape jokes at a woman's shelter then of course what, what what were you expecting exactly yeah but i think and a lot of people will say, a lot of people will, and a lot of people will say that that's the audience's fault but yeah. it's not but then I, I think i understand what you're saying is there are even sometimes in clubs and a comedy club which has no particular agenda has no sort of subjects that are taboo yeah. where you still do feel the tension and sometimes it's not even the tension from the content or the intent of the joke it's mm. just that you said the word retard yeah. and some people hear that word and go you're a horrible person Yeah. and even if I'm saying oh by the way my nickname at school was, was retard yeah. like, you, you can't say that like, oh, that's what kids call me at school, yeah, that's yeah. True, yeah. You know. like, I say the word faggot in my set yeah. but it wasn't towards gay people it was because someone called me a faggot yeah. when I was about 13 years old but that would always tense up an, tense up an audience whenever, yeah. I, say, whenever that, I say it that being said if I had a, a biological, uh, a biographical story about the N-word, yeah. I don't think I would say, even if it was just like, I'm just quoting a song lyric, or I'm just, quote, I'm just hearing a, yeah. a racial, racial conversation I heard in the street, I don't think I would say that, which maybe makes me a slight hypocrite. Mm. But there are some things which I, I don't think I would say, because they, they, I don't think I could make that funny. Yeah. If I think I can make it funny, I, you know, there are... Um, Louis C.K. has got a great, great N-word bit. Yeah. Um, Dave Chappelle has, you know, there's a lot of people. Joey Diaz has a great N-word, yeah, yeah. Like many great N-word yeah, bits. But I haven't found mine yet, mm. and so therefore, yeah, you use again. It's, the job is figuring out if you can make it work, not just saying horrible things and yeah. seeing if it works. Yeah, that's right. I, if you're going to say something horrible, you've got <laughs> to find a way to make it not relatable but make it also not horrible yeah that's if it if you're saying a horrible word you've got to it's not going to be felt that it's coming with any intent of actually being horrible and you like you there's a you've justified why you're doing this yeah that's it you've got to justify your reason for you doing the bit so when was your first stand up gig uh, so I was doing the improv shows at Top Secret and I may have done it once at university, but probably just drunk, and I just did it because I had to fill some time. Good stuff. Um, but why I, why I think it was my first gig because I was doing the Tuesdays at Top Secret, and there was a comedian called Brian Chamumbo, who was also the main flyer for Top Secret, who ran his own night in London Bridge, and he's basically at the beginning of the improv show. It's basically me doing seven to eight minutes of crowd work and warming them up and telling them what the night's going to be. And he'd seen that, and he said, "You should come do stand up. Come do stand up." I said, "I don't want to. Just please come along." And he, I, like, I saw him every week for about a month, and he kept asking. And so I eventually said, "Yeah, fine." And so I wrote five minutes. Uh, I didn't even write five minutes. I just had a couple of ideas and stories in my head, and did five minutes at his night, and it went well. And it was nice. And I mucked around with the audience, and I drank a shot from someone. Nice. Um, and he had a great time doing it. And then just went from, kept going from there. Oh, sweet. So, what keeps you going as a stand up, Simon? Because you've been doing this for five years. I'd years. say this is the closest I've ever thought about giving it up right now. Really? Uh, yeah. Because turning 30, even though it doesn't sound very old, I'm married as well. I've been married yeah. for three years. I'd like to have kids. You can't have a relationship and be married and have kids if you never see each other. So I... If I want to pay a share, I mean, my wife is a lawyer, so she makes way more money than I do. But if I want to even pay a share of the things in the house, 
of the rent of the mortgage of the uh, groceries or anything like that I have to work pretty much six to seven nights a week yeah at the moment to, to do my fair share which means that if we had a family we would never be together so yeah I, I, I am thinking very much of cutting it back at the very least yeah and finding something with, that I can do during the day okay yeah wow. oh wow that's yeah. the most I think that's honestly the most honest response I think I've ever had yeah I mean you've got to you've got to think about it is going do you want to be a you know single 80 year old comedian living in a bed sitting tooting with no wife and kids around you to say goodnight to you when you're dying and say well at least I'm still doing my 20s at top secret <laughs> or do you want to be a primary school teacher with grandkids and a whole family around you in a nice house with a, somebody who loves you I suppose who does stand, who does stand up on the who can do stand up who can, on the who can do stand who can keep doing those big you know well paid gigs and the corporate stuff and the cruise ships and all that sort of stuff when they come up and when they are worth the money yeah but like I was I love and again doing comedy even though I'm not getting paid anything it makes me incredibly happy yeah but there has been some times this year and so before Edinburgh I was doing one or two gigs a week for about a hundred pounds so in Leeds or Nottingham or Hull or something like that, which is a four or five hour drive, 20 minutes of stand up, a four or five hour drive back. Petrol costs 50 quid. So already what you've made is 50 quid. Your agent takes 20% of the hundreds. So they're taking another 20 quid. So basically you're doing nine to 10 hours work for 20 quid. And that's just... When you're starting out, that's really exciting because you do it for free or you pay to do it. But well, it's not sustainable, and it's not no. sustainable when you're in, when you're 30 and no. when you want to have a, a, a stable future. Is there no like, is there no union for stand-ups or anything like that? So, There's equity, which yeah. is a performers' union. Um, but again, I don't know what I'd say. I mean, there is. I mean, they've they've got. There's a minimum wage in terms of if you're doing a theatre run, but. The thing with stand-up is it's it's a, it's a very much a capitalist system, yeah. which is well, if you don't want to do it, there are literally thousands of other comedians who want to do that spot. So why would why would we do that? Why would and the circuit is, a, you know, if we, if I look at the gigs that I am doing, I'm either hosting, opening, or the middle. The headliner is a guy. I'm not going no, no one specific here, but who is 20 years older than me, who is the person that I am terrified of becoming. They used to do jonglers and jonglers would pay you a thousand pounds for the weekend minimum and pay for your hotel and pay for your food and pay for your travel and they're now doing the headliner spot with me for 200 pounds that's mental yeah yeah which is uh yeah again I, that's not what i want to do or what i, what I want to be no and right. i'd rather be i'd rather be a primary school teacher than, yeah. than be that that's a noble job man i work in a school myself yeah yeah it's yeah. So do you? So are you full time stand up at the moment? Or? Yeah, I am. I'm full time. Uh, I think my last tax return was twenty grand. So, oh wow! Well, I, again, but that's nothing compared to the vast majority of people. Yeah. Um. Uh. And then the, you know that's that's what I made, not what I took home. And then you got yeah. all the expenses that come off and stuff like that. So yeah, I probably make from stand up on average two. to 300 a week maybe yeah and there'll be some days sometimes where you're doing a corporate show and they give you two grand and then you have some weeks where you're doing one 50 pound gig a week it's just so up and down yeah and again in your 20s it's very nice to be up and down and yeah. to live in a place where you can't afford to paint the walls with the <laughs> sort of stuff but when you're 30 you gotta go you gotta start living a bit like a man and I found that our generation, and me in particular, the millennials, we don't know how to do anything. Nope. And we have, we, every problem is a massive problem. So uh, we had a pipe burst under the sink in our bathroom. And I was out, and my wife had to call an emergency plumber to come and seal off the pipe. And it cost 300 pounds. And so then he had to take the tap away because the tap was broken. And so my wife bought a new tap. But we both thought, well, we'll have to call the plumber come and saw that tap so we have to wait till we've got another spare 300 pounds and the tap was literally in the sink for two or three months and one day last week i just thought i'm gonna see if i can do it did you do it, it took me 15 minutes yeah but that was with everything like the extractor fan on our oven wasn't working and also the ignition on our hobs weren't working we thought oh my god that's an electrician that's gonna cost a lot 
took the wood off, like the uh, unjivied the wood just to see what the electronics were like there. The plug had slightly come out. Did you push the plug in, and the other one, the fuse had blown, so I just changed the fuse. But they literally not worked for well, the extractor fan hadn't worked for years, and the uh, hob hadn't worked for like four or five months. And all oh, these sweet. things have simple solutions. Yeah. Did you not do like a YouTube video? Like, did you not look at the YouTube videos to see like if there's anything anything out of my stuff? Or? Uh, again, I, I think we go if it's a boiler related issue, if it's a electronics related issue, if it's something like that, then I'm not. I don't know how to do that. That's not yeah. my thing. What you're meant to do is get a call person the, in. Call the guy. Yeah. It's like I I learned to do a, a, a blanket stitch this week as well I never I've never repaired a single bit of my clothing before and now I'm going around all my clothing and, 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 and sewing the holes up dude you're growing up man good for you good for you yeah and yeah it's uh, it's I think a comedian's natural personality is if the big things are going okay if your relationship so if you're in love if you got if you're gigging if you're working if people are telling you you're good at stand up you don't really care about all the little things but it's the little things that build up that there's the boring domestic stuff that has to be beautiful and has to be functional and has to be stable because the big fun exciting things even if they're in a church with 40 people or in a four hour drive up the hole will always be fun and exciting yeah Yeah. that was almost like a conversation with my mother (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's That's true though. We do negate the little thi- the little things, and as my mum definitely knows, I still live. I'm living at home at the moment still. But yeah, it's hard. It's very. Difficult. It is really hard, and I, I. But I think you have a. I, I had literally just. This is only two weeks ago, which is why it's so fresh in my head. I had a sort of snap moment of going, why am I living like this? And now I can't leave the house unless it looks lovely. And it's and I'm I'm thinking about it now, and I get back from a gig, and I see that my wife has left a, a teacup out and stuff like that. And before I just gone, well, she she's used it, she's left it in the sink, so she'll tie it up. It's like, well, why not I clean up? Also, because she makes way more money than I do. Yeah. Why have I given her the mental load of the house? Yeah. Shit. Good for you, man. <laughs> Seriously, good for you. So, did you do Edinburgh this year? I did. All right. Okay. How was it? How did you find it? I a lot of comedians bitch about Edinburgh, and I had a much harder year this year than the, my first year, which is the year before. And there's a number of factors in that and a number of lessons that I learned. But if you are networking and you actually do Edinburgh, you can do between three to five gigs a day. And if you want to be a comedian and because you, you love doing comedy, why would you complain about being able to do that for a month? That's true. And if you really sort of hustle and you can change gears and you can not only do the uh, standard like mixed bill shows, but you can also host those shows for them. Mm-hmm. And then there is comedians for book lovers. I can talk about a book for five minutes because yeah. the improv stuff. Uh, oh, I can also do these uh, hate and live and drunken heckle. Yeah. So I I can switch to a late night gear. I can host the roast battle. I hosted the roast battle for the first time in Edinburgh, and now they've got me to host four since coming back. Oh, sweet. Yeah, yeah. So it's just it's a whole month of opportunity. And again, if you do it like that, you can come back either not losing too much money or making a little bit of money. My friend in my friend in roast battle like very recently at Angel. Yeah. Joe Bates. Yes. Was you there? Uh, I don't think I was there for that one. He did it in in um, Edinburgh as well, I think. Yeah. Did it? Uh, I'm think of Joe Baines. That's Joe Baines. Oh right. Joe Baines is the white guy. Joe Baines is the Indian, oh, right. is the Indian guy. All right. I'm again. I'm quite bad with names and faces. I might have been there for his night. Ah, sure. fair enough. But like, what? I get the appeal of us, but I do get the appeal of it. I don't think I could personally handle it. Wait, well, you take it too? You take it personally? Maybe. Yeah. At this point. Okay. But I really respect it because it is one of the it's one of the last very brutal <laughs> art forms, and I really love watching it. Right. It's just getting to the, I'm, I would like to at some point get to the point where I am able to do it, but you need to be really good at writing for it. Well, again, a lot of people die, and it's again, it's a lot. Of, it's a it's a learning experience. I think it's if you're genuinely worried you're going to be upset by it, it's probably not a good Don't idea. Do it, do it. yeah. Um, <laughs> But because because some of the jokes are horribly brutal and also things that you've never thought about yourself before and then someone says it and you're like yeah. oh god <laughs> yeah um, but yeah don't, don't do it until you feel like you can actually just take it as a joke because yeah. that's all it is and the guys Callum and Victor who run it are lovely and the nicest sweetest guys in yeah, the world I can, so, yeah. yeah 
I think Victor is probably one of those brutal roasters, but he never takes any. He's never anything he said with actual meanness in it. Well, that's the kind of thing with uh, that's kind of like the thing they say about horror movie directors. They're the sweetest. They're yeah. mainly the sweetest people in the world. Yeah. Whereas the people that make family films, the family entertainment, often horrible, kill, <laughs> horrible people and serial killers. Yeah, maybe. But no, it's not. That's not a fact. But that's no, just, so it feels right. <laughs> But yeah, like this is Chris Columbus has got three dead bodies in his. Oh his my face. god! Yeah, well, after making Home Alone two, like I wouldn't. Right. Like I, I watched it recently. Yeah. And it's essentially just a rehash of everything of the first film. Well, he's not home as well. I mean, that's the he's not. He's called not called Home Alone. It's just called. It's like he's just Home Alone. Home Alone two, Lost in New York. That's what it's called, Lost in New York. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but they did the exact same. They do the exact same thing with the mom and the the mom in the plane, and it's she still yeah, screams Kevin. A, I mean, I think it's basically those films are actually a really nuanced uh, look at a woman who's beginning to mention. <laughs> <laughs> and they do the exact, and they do, and they repeat all a lot of the same gags. They do the, they do the, um, the. The, uh, the gangster movie, the gangster movie gag. Yeah, yeah. Where instead of do, instead of doing instead of it being the uh, the wet bandits, it's Tim Curry and Rob, <laughs> Tim Curry and Rob Schneider doing it. Yeah, yeah. And well, the wet bandits still are in it, aren't they? No, they're, yeah, they're, I mean, they're, yeah. they're, they are still there. Yeah, yeah. But, like, I mean, Tim Curry's always will win. He is good. Yeah. Um, have you seen it? I saw. The f- you mean the original one? Yeah. No, I never have. You never seen the original one? No. He's fantastic in it. I've seen clips of him. I know, I know that he was. He was that guy. He was, uh, yeah. He was fantastic at it, but yeah, he was fantastic at it. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a shame what happened to him, though, isn't it? What happened to him? He's um, very, he's very much wheelchair bound now. Oh, is he? Yeah. He had, a, he had a couple of strokes. Oh dear. Yeah. So that's yes. Yeah, but hey. I, saw, I my first meeting him was uh, in Muppets Treasure Island. He does a very good um, Long John Silver. Yeah. When you're a professional pirate, you don't yeah. have to, you don't have to wear a suit. That is an amazing, amazing musical. Yeah, it's uh, great. But that's kind. Of, well, I watched that whilst my baby sister was being born on VHS. Like it was my treat. <laughs> my sister's being born. If you don't like, if it gets too much for you, go and watch this in the living room. Yeah. And at the point where Billy Colony is screaming when he's dying, my mum was screaming, pushing out my sister in the next <laughs> room. Yeah. Like the memory I have from that film is going to see it at the cinema with my parents yep. right and me just dropping popcorn everywhere and being scared of pirates okay but the professional pirate but that line from the professional pirate song yeah. could actually be relatable uh, be quite relatable to my stuff be quite relatable to my standards most performers i've died this year i i was did a my i got booked to my first cruise ship oh and wow they said you have to wear a suit and I started I thought okay it's going to feel weird if I do it the first time on the ship so for the month beforehand I started doing gigs in a suit and it was really nice and I still I, I stopped, only stopped doing it because it's like in the hot of summer yeah. but I still sometimes do them and you do you feel slightly more in control and the one nice thing is it makes you stand out yeah uh, so if you if I'm on, on a most standard mixed bills it'd be like you hear the audience members going oh who was your favourite oh it was the white guy which white yeah. guy the brunette white guy. Yeah. Which brunette white guy? The stubby tubby brunette white yeah. guy. Which stubby yeah, tubby yeah. brunette? If you're in a three-piece grey suit, they're going. Which your favourite comic? It's the one in the three-piece grey suit. Oh sweet. So what cruise ship? What cruise line are you doing? Uh, it was Celebrity. It was in March. Oh. Yeah. What's um, so? How long was that for? It was uh, a week and a day, I think. Uh, going, um, so you landed in uh, Dubai, and then you went to Abu Dhabi, then Oman, then Mumbai, and then you got off. But. I've heard some horrible stories about cruise ships. Mm. You know, uh, I mean, the shows are not to do any sex, any swearing, and you've got to do 45 minutes. Um, and the first show I, the show I was doing is in a thousand-seater theatre. First show had 50 people in. Yeah. And again, you get to a point though, you're going, I know this is funny. It's not yep. going to be the best gig of my life. No. Nope. I'll, I'll just say the words and you'll get you know, through yeah, it. Still laughs, still applause breaks. We're still absolutely fine. And I was there for a week and a day. I only did four shows. Really? And those were on two days. So yeah. the first day I was on the boat, I did two shows. The third day of the week, I was did two shows. The rest of the time, I was on the boat, getting my food and drink for free, and hanging out with the crew and just and chilling out. Oh, that's actually that's actually really yeah. good. <coughs> I'm going to Asia, which I've never been to before. Oh, sweet. So, where's your best? Well, where's the best country to do stand up in? Because you've done it. I I haven't done it that many places. Uh, I mean, you see a lot of people coming to England to yeah. do it. I mean, there's uh, and 
from what I hear of the New York scene, it's very cliquey yeah. and takes even longer to get into paid spots there. Um, I mean, I did one gig in Vienna. That was probably my favorite gig of all time. Mm. But that could have, that was but that was a English comedy night for people who could speak English. So, okay. Uh, yeah. I, where else have I done that? Budapest in a private members club, which was quite nice. Um, yeah, I think the UK comedy industry, with its annoyances and grievances and mm. sort of problems, is is good. It's a wise place where people a place where people want to come to. I think it's great, but I think you need to be. I think you need to start in the right place for it to be easier for you. If that makes sense. What do you mean? Like if you're if you start in London, yeah. I think that it's a lot hard. I think it's a lot harder to progress than you do than it would be if you start in, say, the Midlands or something like that. Right. Because when you start in the Midlands, you can get to places like Liverpool, Manchester, oh, yeah. and Leeds quite easily. Yeah. Whereas in London. It can take you the exact same time it would take them to get to from another city just to get across to another place, yeah. part of town. Yeah, but there are probably you know ten to twenty times more gigs in London than those cities, so I mean it probably slightly evens out. And there's certainly I think probably a lot more stage time when you're starting out mm. in London. Like you probably find it quite hard to gig every night of the week in in Liverpool. Yeah. But uh, no, I think there's you know, there's good choices for both of them. It certainly works a lot better to be. I am. What, to become one of the best comics in London, you have to be Jimmy Carr, you have yeah. to be Frankie Boyle. To become one of the best comedians, I don't know, in uh, Cambridge or in Hull, it's probably a lot easier. Yeah. Once you say, I'm the best comedian in Hull, can I come and get a spot in London, please? They're more, more likely to book you. Mm. I mean, there's a, <laughs> there's a joke going around. You won't get on the top secret, just message Mark saying you're foreign and you're only here for a weekend, <laughs> and I'll book you. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's actually great. Um, what's your thoughts on comedy competitions? I don't think they're conducive to comedy. Good. You can learn yep. to win competitions, and I didn't want to put that work in. And I saw people who just obviously put their work in for a comedy competition type five. But, uh, and again, I think it's, you, I don't think you can judge comedy in the form of a competition. You can't. Um, but you look at the people who win them, and they're usually pretty good comics. Yeah. So there's something there's something to be said. And again, it's like you need some way of doing quality control. Yeah. And a competition or competition winner lets you know that you are good. But That's I've but I've seen competitions uh, where the person who's won hasn't won because they were the funniest. It's because the funniest guy or girl was second, and they were penultimate, and there was ten acts, twenty acts on. So by the time they've yeah. gone there they forget on, they've forgotten about person number two and so it goes that way but you know and a lot of them are scams just trying to make money out of people um, I, I'd like the I like the idea more of comedy awards and comedy competitions yeah I completely agree with that I just I my gripe with it <coughs> my gripe with them is sort of that it's sort of x-factorizing comedy yeah and you but, but you have to you have to do that no of course not yeah I mean oh. there's something for it and, and again there's with, with, it's almost like being the actor they feel more, more like acting because you can put stuff up for them and you know that it's you see other people get through and they're going why have they got onto the next left this and not me when I, I saw both of us do these sets at a club mm. and mine went a lot better and you go they're just not looking for you no and that's that's fine that's how things work it's it's not necessarily about how funny the stuff is. It's going, oh, have I ever heard that voice before? Have I ever seen that person before? Um, what, how many of X, Y, or Z have we already got? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the whole diversity and comedy thing is a really tricky beast. And I've seen so many people just get horribly bitter about it. Yeah. Um, and I always come back to this bit, which is um, Judith Freelander. He, uh, great comic. Great comic. And he's doing an interview where he, he was saying he was really angry that he wasn't getting booked more for certain clubs. He was doing open spots and he kept getting really cross. Why wasn't he giving him, why wasn't he only giving him bait spots? And he burst into the room and he, the, in comedy, all the old school American comedy clubs, apparently the manager watches, on, he's got a little screen on in his office yeah. so he can see what's going on. Judith Brillo comes in and goes, why aren't you booking me to open? Why aren't you booking me to headline? And he went, I got enough white guys. True. And he, and he points at the screen, there's a black comedian on stage, he goes, see this guy? You're funnier than him. Yeah. But I've, I've only got three black guys that I book here who are on my books. It's true. I need not many more. 
I got 20 and he got and he said I could and he got, I found myself getting angry about this and I'm getting frustrated and then I realized I just have to become undeniable yeah I have to become so good that they have to book me rather than that that's that's a much healthier way of looking at it rather than well I just can't get ahead as a straight white man <laughs> Which you can't in this day and age. <laughs> well, <laughs> you said that normally. Hey, hey, hey. Right, on that note, South Park. Yep. Okay, you now, like 23 seasons. Yeah. 23 Twen- seasons. Some ups and downs, but genuinely, I think, in this, I went to the Hogarth exposition, uh, exposition, um, exhibition on satire, and which is, uh, you know, him doing these big pictures of Gin Alley and rich people stepping over poor people and it's like this is what satire was for this generation I think in a hundred years two hundred years time people will be going to like the South Park exhibition of course of that is what that was the commentary and satire of world culture mainly American but world culture that mm. was that defined the generation I think yeah oh, it's, it's just beautiful yeah and it's but weirdly I mean the animation is <laughs> actually really fucking ugly but it yeah. still somehow managed to be beautiful and I actually I've been, again, I've been doing all this decorating in the house, and Amazon's just got the whole lot of them now. Yeah. And I've been watching the new stuff as well, um, super legally. We're watching the new stuff super legally. Super legally, uh, yeah. Super legally, yeah. <laughs> but I started, I just put on episode one and just gone through the seasons as well. Yeah. And it's changed a lot, but it's always good, and it's adapting, and they make it in six days, which is just insane. Yeah. And they, uh, yeah, it's, it's never boring or predictable it's all even if the ones where they're not as strong as each other and you know look at the simpsons simpsons is still funny but yeah. it's not as funny as it was yeah the best season of south park in my opinion is 19 that's yeah. the best season they made and it was 19 seasons in yeah i still like season seven where awesome what is that awesome and fun with weapons yeah and yeah. also um taco flavored kisses yes that is the best Jennifer Lopez <laughs> song which hasn't been made which wasn't actually made by Jennifer Lopez yeah and, and the nice it's weird there are some comedians who have been going since that time of the early 90s or even the early 2000s who can still make the kind of jokes like in South Park because they always have made it I don't know if a new show starting now could do taco flavoured kisses no because because <laughs> I think that would get there'd be a few Guardian articles and quite a few tweets about it yeah well, South Park has put the work in and, and, and they, there's a brilliant scene where in season 19 there's two old farmers yeah who are like leaning on a fence post and going looks yeah. like everything's getting our PC again, again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how long have we been now be here for the past six years oh, okay we've also got another <laughs> five years eleven months to go I, I think of that it's just and they got very and they get very self-referential yeah. there's some sad episodes and yeah it's really it's a it's a fantastic show with a great car and you should watch season one and Jimbo is like the main adult character mm. and the mayor and the police chief Mr. Garrison is still there but the I don't think Randy or uh, the other parents get a story like a proper storyline no. until like season two or three yeah uh, and you and I always thought that Kenny died in every episode up until like season eight but they're playing with the formula even at the end of like beginning of season one yeah where he's like cheering oh sorry end of season one where he's like cheering because he doesn't die yeah um, no I just I'm, I, thought, I thought they handled the Trump stuff very well yeah by not doing him make, making it Mr. Garrison yeah and the whole commentary in the election where he's trying to throw it I just thought it was really funny really and well done with the, poli- well, with the political stuff around that time they didn't just go for Trump either they went hard on Hillary Clinton Ted Sandwich basically yeah, yeah Ted Sandwich exactly yeah. saying that they're both as bad as each other well I'm not sure they quite said that I, mean, I, think, I think they certainly said I remember the opening of the episode after that and it's everyone just sort of vomiting yeah because they can't believe that Trump's won uh, yeah, and it, you know, the idea is Mr. Garrison is the worst human being yeah. in the world, and you've put him in charge of everything. Yeah, and he's a hypocrite as well. The policy is fucking them all to death. Yeah. It's just so, so funny. Yeah, <laughs> the fact that he's playing a bigoted, a bigoted guy. Yeah, and the, um, despite actually happening being a well, a woman at some point. Well, yeah, time. I mean that is there's a sentence in there which I can I hear it in my head, which you can't imagine they get away with so he has the sex change and then he realises he can't get pregnant 
So he says, "Oh, I need to have. A, I'm not. I'm not a real woman, so I have to get a sex change back." <laughs> and he's talking to the like the faculty. And he's going, "I'm back, Mr. Garrison. Yeah. Anyway, I, I realize I can never be a woman because a, a, a real woman can have babies, and if you can't have babies, you're just a guy." And yeah. the other teacher goes, "Well, my wife, um, she's actually had ovarian cancer, so she can't have babies." <laughs> he says, "Well, get an AIDS test, Roberts, because your wife's a dude, faggot." <laughs> I'm back. And it's just like the most horrible line. But it's delivered so well, and because the character's a monster. Yeah. And if, the, if you're, and, and then this is a very good thing for stand-up. If you if you have a horribly funny but monstrous thing to say, yeah, make someone else say it. Is exactly. that? You can really get away with saying a lot more stuff. Yeah, that's it. So speaking of the South Park guys, yeah. have you seen the Book of Mormon? I have. It's the funniest thing I have ever seen on a stage. Yeah. And I think I, I'm sorry, on a live certainly. Because uh, I've I've not seen some of my big comedy heroes live on a stage, but on a stage live, I think it is the funniest thing I have ever seen. I think it's the only. I'm not a big fan of musicals, but I will listen to that soundtrack once a month. Yeah, yeah. Because it is just lyrically, it's amazing. Shout out to Robert Lopez who also did Avenue Q. Yeah. And just the way, the how it's all produced is just pitch perfect. Yeah. And. It's one of the most religiously... I think it's one of the most tolerant... If you look at it properly, it's one of the most tolerant musicals for religion... For, well, yeah. most tolerant ones out there. Yeah, and, it's, and it never comes down on the side of whether there is a God or isn't a God. No. And it's basically saying you got to... You know, religion needs to adapt and you've got to use it in a way that's actually helpful. Yeah. Um, and they and they poke fun where they need to poke fun. And they, uh, they're quite, you know... Understanding when they're understanding. I mean, apparently the Mormon Church are a big fan. Yeah, yeah. They always, um, well, they always. When you're at, well, when, at the end of every show, they're always out there. <laughs> giving, <laughs> Hello. Hello. Yeah. Oh man, but back to South Park. Yeah. It, they did an episode. They did an episode of Mormonism, didn't they? Yeah, they did. A, lot, a long time ago. And yeah, it was like again. It just seems that they both think that Mormonism is insane, which it is. Yeah. But it seems to create people who are very nice. Yeah. Um, and that and, and they yeah they did a whole backstory of Joseph Smith and all that sort of stuff and yeah. stands hanging out and thinks it might be a you know a fun thing to do and then they actually hear it and they go you actually still believe this and he goes I just tried to be your friend yeah <laughs> got a lot of growing up to be pal suck my balls mm-hmm. and he just walks off uh, yeah I think I think with South Park Eric Cartman is probably one of those characters which is you know generation defining and yeah. so. Never, I mean, nuance is the wrong word, I suppose, because he's never really changed. But he's such a great depiction of of some of the ho- most horrible parts of society and yeah. how he reacts to things. And I think when he, when he gave him a girlfriend, it was really funny. Oh my god, babe! I love you, babe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, and no one can quite believe it. Um, yeah, and, it, and it's created a cast of characters like The Simpsons, which I think The Simpsons probably got one of the best ensemble character oh, cast course, of all yeah. time. But that can react in real time because that six day—I don't know if you've seen the Six Days to Air documentary, where they basically track how they make an episode of South Park, and so they literally start writing on Monday, and it's released on the following sort of Sunday. Really? So yeah, they make it in a week, and that is genuinely amazing. So they are literally the most to the minute program out there, uh, apart from the news. Apart from the news. Oh yeah. <laughs> Well, and, the, and the Daily Show and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, they are playing for animation. They're making an animated half an hour show in six days. Mm. Like, what did you think about them when they went after Family Guy? Ah, uh, <laughs> so they went after Family Guy. Apparently, the Simpsons sent them a box of chocolates, roses, and champagne, <laughs> and said thank you so much for doing this. The King of the Hill writing staff sent them some whiskey and stuff like that. So I think there was a in the animated comedy world. The things that South Park were picking up on, obviously, yeah. they, thought, they thought it was like um, everyone thought it was a right, a right hit. And you know, I you know, Kyle says I like Family Guy. I like just a series of jokes. I like yeah, to switch my yeah. brain up. I don't think. And that's what Family Guy is. Seth MacFarlane is a genius. Yeah, he genuinely is a genius uh, and a beautiful voice, very good singer as well. Oh yeah. Uh, and he just and you know, it's it's the you can watch South Park and talk about a difficult issue and get something out of it and still laugh. Or you can watch Family Guy and just, you know, laugh at a bunch of strung together gags with a loose plot, and that, that's fine. Like, my issue is, they didn't go after Seth MacFarlane. They went after his writers instead. They went after his writers. Yeah. If they'd have gone after the big cheese, yeah. I think I'd, it would have sat with me a lot better than it probably did. Oh, but, really? Yeah. But because they went after, the, they went after his writing staff, who 
bless who bless them are just trying to turn things out. Yeah. I think those. I think those. I think they sort of missed the mark slightly on that oh, one. I don't know. Cause I get it. It would have been the actual writing staff when they were there and they were idiots. But it was just, yeah. just manatees <laughs> picking balls. It was like that's 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 funny. Yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, but again, I don't know what your angle on Seth MacFarlane would be. I suppose because we're yeah. going. Oh, you just. You, unless they made him a man like the chief manatee. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I, I I didn't think that was missing from it. I thought it was. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I I found those two episodes very yeah, funny. Fair enough. And. I think my fan, I think my favourite episode though has got to be with the Jonas Brothers. Oh, with Mickey Mouse. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh yeah, the the uh, gangster, the gangster sort of godfather yeah. Mickey Mouse. Yeah. Who just came back in the Chinese episode. Oh yes, he did. Yeah. I mean, really, really, really funny. Uh, I, I <laughs> you like making little girls Chinese tickle? That's what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I big fan of that episode. Like, it's just, and it was, people kind of missed, again, I think people kind of missed the mark with that, not the writers or the team who made the episode, but I think the audiences missed the mark with the episode because they weren't taking the piss out of the Jonas Brothers at all. They were doing the Disney Corporation as a whole. Well, they were slightly taking the piss out of the Jonas Brothers because Jonas Brothers were talking about abstinence and wearing purity Beauty rings whilst thrusting whilst thrusting yeah, yeah, yeah. so there, I, think it's, I mean the Jonas Brothers are not blameless oh of course they, not, have, no. they certainly have some something at fault there and they, yeah, <laughs> they're bullied no wish the mouse <laughs> like yeah. I actually saw the concert doc, the Jonas Brothers 3D movie a few years ago oh, right okay. and you know the bit in the South Park where they're taking the piss off um, where they say the oh first, yeah they actually do that they actually hold foam guns <laughs> at crotch level <laughs> In the actual concert. Oh no! And they're spraying thirteen-year-old girls That's with hilarious. their phone. That's hilarious. Yeah. But, but, yeah, and that. <coughs> I mean, if you know, if you don't have the uh, wherewithal to go, it was just okay. Then, then you, then it's on you as well. That's your yeah. problem. That's that's that was a bit Mark Hermodish a little bit when, okay. you, when you did when you did that. <laughs> see, I think that's. I listened back to his review of that Jonas Brothers concert movie in the Verbal yeah. And I think he said that in like those exact words. <laughs> it's, just, it's just okay. Yeah, like, I mean, I I think it's and again they they will always pick up on and sometimes they'll pick up on a news article or a news story that you don't really know that much about. Yeah. Because uh, of some American stuff, like they did one about the um, e-scooters and stuff like that. And like, yeah. We didn't really have them here at that point. No. I was like, oh, that's, that's an interesting thing. And it's, yeah, it's it's a it's a good it's a show that you can check in on the zeitgeist of America, and it, that's a real mm. interesting stuff. And I and I love how some of the characters have developed. Like Randy is just a normal dad. He, he, I love him. Yeah. And now yeah, he's gone through so, so much weird stuff. He's got a lot of integrity, hasn't he? Integrity, yeah. <laughs> we. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, some of my favourite episodes as one where he's taking the biggest crap in the world mm. and he, it's just like a, this is an Emmy award winning show every time <laughs> he's taking a massive shit there's the one where I think it's called um, Cartman Sucks where Cartman is taking pictures of Butters while he's sleeping and doing <laughs> things for him uh, so like he puts a um, poo moustache on his face he puts oh. a uh, tampon in his mouth oh. and then he does one he goes this isn't the funniest one he puts his di- he puts Butter's dick in his mouth <laughs> and he, he freaks out and then it ends up with Butter's dad thinking he's gay oh. and he sends him to pray away get the, pray away the gay oh, camp yeah. and the counsellors just keep like walking around going, hey, hey, and here's going to be your room Butters and the kids just keep killing themselves <laughs> and it's so brutal and true that that's what happens at these places Yes. and it's just like wow that's that's real brave and there's the, uh, my my favourite two episodes are mostly because they're the ones I don't get to watch very often because yeah. they're banned uh, is episode 200 and 201 is that the Mohammed episodes those, those not the, the weird one is you can still watch the Super Best Friends yeah which has Mohammed completely animated in it yeah because it's not about him he's just one of the Super Best Friends but then they did one which was slightly about that and then the, two, the 200 and 201 like the amalgamation like Scott Teneman turns back up again Tom Cruise is in yeah. there but it's basically stealing the ability of Muhammad to not be made fun of yeah and they and they, there's a big bit at the end which they've never released the actual dialogue where Kyle basically says something on the lines of um, you know if anyone who ever senses this or already takes it away you're a coward yeah. you know, if you're not willing to like you know put free speech and um, you'll risk risk your life for free speech then you don't deserve it and they just beeped out the whole thing but yeah really it's just my it, it's one of those shows where I there's been years where I've kind of stopped watching it mm-hmm. but every time I think I wonder what South Park are up to yeah. and then go back and watch everything, everything. I missed I loved the Amazon episodes yeah last season yeah. like 
I think they've got they've got Jeff Bezos down to the team. <laughs> and they've how, not allowed that. That's the only season that Amazon haven't bought. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. shit! I wonder why. I <laughs> wonder why. Like, do you know what's interesting? I saw a react a react video to it yeah. with Amazon with Amazon workers. Kind of hilarious. And they were just like, that's boom. That's very true. Like. I'm afraid it adds up. I'm going to have to yeah, zoom, I'm afraid. No worries, man. Um, so where can they find you, Sam? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Sam Russell Comic. Uh, on Instagram, same thing. Uh, I'm Angel most Thursdays hosting Angel Comedy Raw, which is a great night to come and watch because we've got three kinds of comedians on. we got um, pro comics doing new stuff, new, uh, semi-pro comics doing their best five minutes to try and get on Friday and Saturdays, and some acts trying it for the first, second, third time ever. It's free to get in. There's a bucket at the end. And also, if there's any new comics who want to do their first ever gig or want a nice gig when they're just starting out, apply for Angel Comedy. They've got great uh, new act nights on uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Sunday. And it's always great. I can't give Angel Comedy enough. At Shoot Impro, uh, Shoot From The Hip is that's their social media tag. If you ever need us uh, an improv show for a comedy night or a corporate booking, uh, and yeah, that's pretty much me. Man, good to have you, man. It was no great. I know they can't see the handshake, but I love doing it anyway. <laughs> Lovely.